So if you have your Bibles, please join me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 8. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 8. Good job to Holly and Tammy for putting all this up. So last week I talked about prayer, and I'd like to follow that up with another uh, sermon on, on prayer. By the way, you can look in your bulletin, and on the back of the bulletin you'll see the outline. So what is prayer? And this is obviously part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which if you read it, it took me 17 minutes to read the entire Sermon on the Mount. So the question that we have to ask is, what is prayer? Let me give you a high technical definition of prayer. Here it is. Prayer is talking to God. That's pretty much what it is. And what we're going to look at today, the, the prayer closet, what has been entitled the prayer closet by many people, it was more like a storeroom, but um, Jesus discusses what fake prayer looks like and what genuine prayer looks like. That which is fake and that which is real. That which is authentic, which touches the heart of God. And Jesus does this in this section, Matthew 6, 5 through 8. First of all, we want to look at prayer is not an act. Prayer is not an act. And he opens here talking about Judaism. He says, when you pray, and Jesus speaking to the multitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and when you pray, prosukomai, which simply means to speak to God. And it's, it's a dialogue. It's a one-on-one -on -one dialogue with God. So prayer is simply talking to God about anything, about any time, and about anywhere. The warning Jesus gives next, you must not be like the hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. And that means one who asks or wears a mask or is on a stage. So a hypocrite, at least at this point that Jesus is talking about, a hypocrite is one who is acting, one who is putting on a fake exterior. And there's really nothing going on inwardly, but this is somebody who is not genuine. Somebody who is uh, merely pretending to pray. Um, and then Jesus goes on and gives the explanation of this. So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Those that act, those that put on a fake pretense, those that uh, are not genuine. For they love to stand and pray. The word love there means philo, which means they enjoy doing it. So I want you to get in your mind an, an image of somebody that loves to be on the stage to have all the attention drawn to them. Of course they love it. 
because everybody is looking at them. And of course, if they can get a big crowd going on, then you can, you know, lavish prayers and on and on and on when in actuality, prayer is simply talking to God. So Jesus says, for they love to stand and pray. Standing, um, actually, standing was actually the proper stance for prayer at, at the time of Christ. They would, they would stand. Uh, the issue here was the devout Jews prayed three times a day. They prayed in the morning, they prayed at noon, and they prayed in the evening. So there's nothing at all wrong with praying in the morning, praying at noon, praying in the evening. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to stand, but Jesus is, is saying here, look, they love to stand and pray, but it's not the right prayer because what they are praying is simply to draw attention to themselves. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't put that mask on and, and, and want large crowds to hear you pray. They love to stand and pray in the synagogue. That, that was actually normal. To, to pray in the synagogue was actually normal. And at the street corners, it was normal but less often. So most of the time, you would be in the synagogue praying to God. Those prayers would, and, and by the way, uh, most of the time, they would take those and they would go like that. That would be a, a form of a mobile, if you will, a mobile prayer closet. It would just lay it down and you would pray. It would pull over your face so that people couldn't see it. I remember, God blessing, uh, his name was Robert. We were in Bible college. And Dr. Vaughn would often ask, well, not often, every class, he would go down the list and he would ask each student to pray before the class started. And, of course, people would say, pray for this, pray for that, and you're like feverishly writing it down. You've got to try to remember all these prayer requests. There was one guy named Robert. Robert... He was, being kind, flamboyant. One day, Dr. Vaughn said, Brother Robert, the way Dr. Vaughn said, Brother Robert, would you pray for us this morning? He was real soft. Robert got up and he said, sure, I will. And he goes, men, let's pray. And he got down on his face in class, spread eagle. The guy looked at me and he goes, I said, I don't know if that was genuine prayer or if he was trying to draw attention to himself. We got to be careful that we're not praying in such a way as to draw attention to ourselves. It is actually just prayer talking to God. We, we don't need, the only audience that we need is God and Jesus Christ. That's the only audience. And by the way, in Romans 8, talks about the Holy Spirit helps us when we don't know what to pray, and then we begin to pray to God. And they do this, Jesus says, they stand in the synagogues and the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Fino, to make known that they are praying. You get the image 
This is the image that Jesus has in his mind. The Pharisee standing like this in the street corners. Lord, thank you that I'm not like the others. I think Jesus knew about prayer. <laughs> Jesus often went away to pray to the Father, so he knew what genuine prayer was, and he's really telling the Pharisees and those who are in religious positions that you should not pray like that to draw attention to yourself and to, to be the spectacle, if you will, or to sit and act. Truly I say to you, they have received, this is verse 5, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Stuart Weber makes a good quote here. Jesus certainly was not forbidding public prayer. We do that every Sunday. But it may be said that the person who prays only in public and never in private is praying for the wrong reason. That's a possibility. It is possible to pray in public and to be talking to God one-on-one -on -one, no matter who's around. And I think this is a really good quote. If you only pray in public, why aren't you doing that in private? Because Jesus said you're supposed to do this in private. And like I said, we do this every Sunday. Uh, the ushers will pray. I'll pray. Deacons will pray. We go in the back and pray. There's nothing wrong with that. But the issue comes in when we are doing it in the form of acting. And by the way, I shouldn't have to tell this to everybody, but I will. God knows our hearts. So he knows the real motive behind our prayers. Now Jesus turns his attention, I believe, to the Gentiles. So he talks about Judaism first. You know, and, and again, let me. there's nothing wrong with praying morning, noon, and night. In, in fact, that might be a good paradigm to follow to get us in the mindset of prayer, but we don't need that stage. We, we don't need that stage. There are times in my life when I have been asked to pray in public, and I will, but you always have to be mindful of the fact that you don't want people to be drawn to your words, but be drawn to God, and that's a big difference. And Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard with their many words. Badalago, badalago, means to use many words or speak for a long time. Now this does not count for sermons. This is, sermons are a totally different issue. In the Greek and Roman culture, they had a God for everything. And all these gods were, were pagan. I, I want to give you, give you a list here. Jupiter was the god that protected the state. Juno was the protector of women. Minerva was the goddess of craft and wisdom. And I'm just going through just a few of these. Mars was the god of war. Mercury, it's interesting that a lot of these deal with the, with the planets. Mercury was the god of trade and the messenger of the gods. Bacchus was the god of grapes and wines. Then they had Athena. They had all of these gods. And the Gentiles would stand and just spew for a long time, thinking that they would get the attention 
of the God. It is not, it is not the spectacle. It is not how long the prayer is. But the intent is the heart. The key to this is not that we have to have long, repetitious prayers, but the fact that we get in tune with God, and that's the key. Because if we don't get in tune with God, the prayer is less than what it's supposed to be. Again, Stuart Weber makes a good comment. The pagan worshiper believed he needed to pray repetitively to get their attention, that is the God's. Once a worshiper got the God's attention, so to speak, he continued to pray repetitiously or re repetitively to ensure that he was heard correctly and to convince the God that his request was worth granting. So what you have here, these people are praying to fake gods anyway. They had a fertility God, they had a just sun God, moon god they had all these gods and they thought that maybe by in, invoking these gods to come and join them by praying long prayers and jesus said no don't stand in the street corners like the hypocrites do don't be praying to be seen by men don't stand in a long repetitious form and, and by the way i, I would tend to think that some of the charismatics are involved in this type of prayer. Now we have a lot in common with charismatics and a lot we don't have in common with. But you don't need, you don't need to jump up and down and pray to get God's attention. The moment that you open your mouth, you have God's attention. God is attentive. We don't need to call him in. Because the moment we start praying, God is listening. So it gives us an opportunity here to uh, maybe look at what Jesus is saying. That prayer is not an act. It is not something to be done merely to be seen by men, which is a theme throughout the New Testament, but really to be heard by God. And I think that's a... that's. That's the line there. It's not to be seen by men, but it's to be heard by God. And, and God is not impressed. God is not impressed with long prayers, I think. If you want to know how to pray correctly and maybe catch the spirit of prayer, you know the best people to look at? Watch children. Watch children. God, please, I pray for my puppy. Does God care about the puppy? Yes, he does. Just simple, childlike prayer. Unless you become as a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, Jesus would say. So simplify your prayer. And by the way, God already knows what you need before you ask it. We'll get into that in a minute. So prayer is not an act, but it is an experience with God. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we're doing a study by D.A. Carson. It's really a great study. D.A. Carson, the videos are not long. They're like 13 minutes. But he packs so much into those about prayer, 
uh, and it's been eye-opening and uh, very good for us, those of us that are here on Wednesday evening. This is the most important one out of this. So Jesus has identified two ways that you don't pray. This way and a bunch of words to try to get an unknown God's <laughs> to respond to you, which they never do anyway, because there's only one God. Jesus says this in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your prayer room, or correction, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Again, Jesus uses the word prosukamai, which means simply talking to God. Far removed from the audience of the world, far removed from having the spotlight on you, far removed from loving being the object of attention. He says, when you pray, when you talk to God, go into your room and shut the door. This is the ESV standard. And, your, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Jesus uses here... I believe the storeroom the storeroom was on the back side of the house so when Jesus said go into your room and close the door he was probably talking about a little room about this size and it had a door and so you would open that door and everybody knew that was hearing the sermon of Jesus that you would go into this room Oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. Listen to this. You would go into the room, you would shut the door, and inside that storeroom, the storeroom was filled with wine, dates, corn, oil, water, everything needed to sustain life. So you would go into the storeroom, candle would be lit, obviously, there's no windows doors shut, and you would be surrounded by the provisions of God. You would go, wow, God gave me food. He gave me oil. He gave me olives. He gave me all of these things. And in that context, acknowledging that God is the one that has provided everything for us, as Brother Larry said this morning when he prayed, you've given us and blessed us abundantly. And so I think one way that we could enhance our prayer life, I think, one way that we can enhance our prayer life is, is maybe have an area where you can have all of these elements around and look at how God has blessed you. And this... I believe when Jesus said this, everybody within the sound of his voice knew exactly what he was talking about. They would be in a, in a place where they could look around and see the great provisions of God. And by the way, God is good all the time. I know that there's people that struggle and they have hardships and they wonder, God, do you not see? God, do you not care? And I get that. I do. 
I get those times when we wonder, where are you? But then when we think about the overview of our lives, we can see that God has been with us every step of the way and that what may look like some type of curse now turns out to be a blessing later. And so when you're in your prayer closet and you've shut the, have you all seen the movie, The, the War Room? Uh, that, that, is a, that is a great movie about prayer. She would go into this closet and she would, had all these things on the wall that she was praying for. And uh, really a good, a good movie. If you haven't seen it, you should probably watch it. It's, it's good. But this would be filled with everything. And your father, Jesus said, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is not a stage. This is not a repetition. This is God. This is my needs where you're not seeing. And you're only playing for the audience of one. When was the last time that you got alone when you got alone with God and you prayed to God? Richard Foster, in his book, The Spiritual Disciplines, wrote this. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. Prayer is at essence, and some, sometimes we go to God and we, and we say all of our needs, these are our needs, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then we have to get to a point where we listen to God, and God begins to transform us. So if there's no transformation taking place in our lives, and we don't seem to be moving forward in our Christian walk, one of the natural things to ask is, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Because it is through prayer that God begins to change our hearts and move us in a good direction. I think Richard Foster is right there. To pray is to change. And it's the primary vehicle by which God will change your life. And again, this is, this is an experience with God. This is, uh, and I've had some unique encounters. Um, when I was at Midwestern Seminary, we were learning meditation, not the, not the pagan meditation type, but how to meditate. And he said, I want you to take a verse. He gave me a verse. Your word is, mine was, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And he said, I want you to visualize that verse. And he gave us like five minutes. And then we had to go around the room and I said, well, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I visualized a cobblestone road just came to me, probably given to me by God. And I said, whenever the Bible was open, I could see my path. But when the Bible was closed, everything went dark. I think visualization and prayer is good. What I like to try to do in my own prayer life is when I start to pray, I think of God high and exalted, and it puts me in the right position. 
because I am dependent on him. I just have this vision of God high and exalted with angels flowing around him, and I begin to pray in that way. And I think it's important to have some type of visualization. Jesus wants him to visualize the provisions of God. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So what do we do when we're before God? Sometimes there's emergency prayers. You all know what emergency prayers are. God, help right now, please. <clears throat> Our needs. Let's, let's talk about that. Jesus says in verse 8, do not be like them. That is, praying on the street corners, praying in the synagogues to be noticed, fake prayer. Don't pray long, meaningless prayers that basically do nothing. Listen to what Jesus says. This is when you're in your room and you're talking to God. Nobody else can see. It's a secret deal between you and God. And there's a lot of things that God can reveal to you. For your father knows, listen to what Jesus says, for your father knows what you need before you ask it. Oida is the Greek word there. Has knowledge, and just reading right from the Greek, has knowledge of your situation. So when you get down and you start to pray to God, he already knows your need. Think of it this way. If God didn't know your need before you ask it, he would cease to be God because God is supposed to be all-knowing. So anything, brothers and sisters, anything, no matter how big the request, no matter how small the request, I want you to understand something this morning, that God listens to you. God hears you. God knows you. God knows your hurts. He knows your frustrations. He knows your trials. And so when you go to him, it's that one-on-one -on -one moment with God that he begins to speak to your heart and encourage you and maybe answer the prayer. I've seen prayers answered. We, we have a prayer chain and we send it out. And all of a sudden, the next day, the situation's better. I'm glad Mary's doing a lot, lot better. That's awesome. You know what that came from? That came from prayer. The whole congregation praying for Mary. And it's so good to see you again today here at the church. Your father knows what you need before you ask it. So I gave a little, uh, little illustration here. I'm getting ready to pray and God goes, okay, here's Michael. I already know what he's going to ask for. And the question is, sometimes God doesn't give me what I ask. What do you do with that? Those of you that have kids, grandkids, do you always give your grandkids and kids everything they want? Not really. Sometimes you know better that that's not good for them. Uh, 
stuck in the early 60s were watching Leave it to Beaver. And Hugh Beaumont is, is the father, and he gives Beaver this money, and uh, Beaver's not paying attention to what's going on, and he gets himself in trouble. And then the dad has a lesson for him at the end of it. And sometimes what we are praying is not good for us, so God withholds it from us. But then sometimes, no rhyme or reason, right? God answers our request like that. What do you do in those moments when God doesn't answer? What do you do in those moments when God doesn't answer? Well, here's the short answer. Keep praying. Keep praying and keep trusting. Keep praying and keep trusting that God knows what's best for you. I think that's the key, knowing what God, is, what God has is best for you. And maybe what we're asking even may not be part of his will for your life. John Stott writes this, God is neither ignorant so that we need to instruct him, nor hesitant so that we need to persuade him. Our father, a father who loves his children and knows all about their needs. The prayer closet, if I could close it. The prayer closet is a place where we go and that we can be alone with God. It is a place where you have the opportunity to pray to God and to watch God work in your life and in your heart and do some amazing things. So this is it. Commit to daily prayer. Commit to daily prayer, whether that's morning, noon, or evening. Select a private place. Maybe a place that's filled with memories of how God has done in your life. I think this is key because I think this comes from all this text. Share your heart with God. I think that's key. Share your heart with God. With the audience, don't need that. Just say, God, I need your help. I'm in a bad spot. And please, Lord, I need you to respond. Simple prayer. And sharing your heart with God, you're not putting on an act. And you can just say, God, I'm hurting, I'm frustrated, I'm tired. Or you could say it this way, God, you're an awesome God. I praise you. I think we should always start with praise. Lord, I praise you for being high and exalted. I praise you that you care about my life and my needs and my hurts and my frustrations and unfulfilled desires in my life, whatever that may be. But God, I first of all want to acknowledge you as Lord and sovereign and control over my life and then maybe launch into pray for Tim or pray for Bill or pray for a certain need. But be real with God. Just talk to him from your heart. 
listen. Don't just pray and go away. Listen. Listen for the still, small voice of God. And I think if we do that, our prayer life explodes. So Jesus said, don't be like the, the hypocrites. Don't be like the Gentiles. When you pray, go to your storeroom or your closet. Pray to your Father in secret. He already knows your needs before.